Hello and welcome to episode 62 of The Witcher chapter by chapter book review where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapters 9 through 10 of Season of Storms. So we got two chapters in this episode. Uh, two not as eventful, I'd say, chapters as uh, the one that we covered in the previous episode, but pretty good. Uh, definitely progresses the story in a pretty unexpected way, but we'll get into that. So as usual, I'll start you with a recap of the last episode, followed by the summary of what happens in these chapters, and then we'll talk about it uh, probably more than we need to. Okay, so for the recap, Geralt and Dandelion met with the area's head of organized crime, Pyrrhal Pratt, to get information on the stolen swords. Pratt made Geralt fight a lizard-like creature in an audience-packed arena in exchange for information on his weapons. Pratt told him that the thief will be selling them at an auction in Novigrad in July. After fighting the monster, Prince Egmund of Karak requested Geralt to protect his father at his upcoming wedding. Geralt later had the wounds he received from the lizard patched up by Coral, who told him her mage associates want him to visit them at Risberg Castle. Before setting off, he meets with Dandelion, who gives him a sword he recently purchased and who he tells he won't be serving Prince Edmund. He just plans to retrieve his swords in Novigrad himself after his visit to Risberg. So he was intending on going to Risberg. Let's see. If he did that or not. <laughs> so, summary time of chapters 9 and 10. Geralt arrives at Risberg Castle, where he is greeted by two sorcerers, Algernon Gwynkamp, also known as... I'm going to go with the pronunciation of Pinity. Uh, one, uh, somebody was nice enough to tell me in the previous episode um, that it can be pronounced Pinity, and I like that better because I was saying Pinty as we heard of him in one of the interludes in between chapters eight and nine. And uh, I did, I, I just don't like referring to a grown man as pinty. So I'm going to go with the pronunciation pinity. Anyway, Algernon, Algernon Gwynkamp, also known as pinity and Harlan Zara. He attends an audience with the two, along with the rest of Risberg's top mages, including Ordolin, who is regarded as a legend running operations at the castle. After fending all the sorcerers in attendance, he has a private meeting with Pinity and Harlan where they ask him about his experience with demons. They tell him that as a result of Risberg's experimentation with Goatia, a demon has possessed someone and is massacring people in nearby settlements. They hire Geralt to patrol the areas in and around where the massacres have recently taken place. One day, after a week of patrolling, the forest suddenly goes quiet and Geralt spurs Roach into a gallop to investigate the disturbance. And that's where chapter 10 ends, so we don't know by the end of chapter 10 what exactly caused this spooky disturbance. But we are going to talk about everything that led up to it. It's a nice cliffhanger. I figured that was a good place to end off. We could have just gone right into chapter 11 and figured out what happened. I mean, if chapter 11 tells you what happens, but I figured we could leave it off on a cliffhanger. I like, I kind of like doing that. I understand why that's a common thing in TV shows, why they, they leave you hanging. It's, it's fun. <laughs> All right. Well, we start out 
with Geralt's arrival at Risberg Castle. And we get a description of the place. It's built into the side of a mountain. It looks really small from the outside, but once you get inside, it looks a lot bigger as it goes deep within the mountain wall. And all the buildings look like factories, so it basically looks like a big industrial complex, which makes sense since, as we soon learn, there's a lot of experimentation, a lot of inventing that goes on there. So they're doing a lot of work that I guess would need to be in buildings that look like factories. Uh, so he gets there and he's welcomed by Pinity and Harlan. And Pinity is said to be from the University of Oxenfurt. We later learn that Geralt actually sat in on one of his guest lectures. So he's, he does guest lectures at Oxenfurt. But that's why the, the narrative voice described him that way. And Harlan is described as sporting an entirely bald head, which is something mages never do. He's probably one of the only ones to do that, it says. Uh, but those are most of the details we get on the personal lives of these two sorcerers. Well, they tell Geralt that they're glad he came. They're glad that he made the decision. He, or they're glad that he agreed to come. And this comment immediately sends Geralt off. And I honestly don't think that they could have said anything that wouldn't have gotten a snide remark, a negative reaction from him. But the phrasing agreed, agreed to come is what gets to him. Like he's saying, he, he's telling them, like, I'm not here at my own free will. I was forced to go to jail to make this happen. So don't act like I agreed to do this. I'm, I just didn't want to have to deal with the next thing you guys were going to do to get me to come if I didn't agree. So Harlan tries to brush it off, basically saying, oh, it's, it's no big deal. You don't have to worry about what you went through for us to get you to come here. Coral made up for that with her, uh, her devotion. And Geralt just wants to punch him in the face really bad. And that's not my interpretation. My interpretation of that, that's exactly what it says. <laughs> so, of course, he just wants to get the matter at hand. The reason that they had him come over with, he wants to get to it and then leave as quickly as he can. He doesn't want to be here. And at first, they just say that they need him. They need him because his deeds and exploit, exploits are, are regarded as admirable. Not, not by them, of course, God's forbid that they show him any admiration, but they do acknowledge though, that he's good at his job. But before they dive into any specifics, they take him to meet Ordolin and Ordolin's closest collaborators as they're called. And then we get a rundown on what Geralt knows about Ordolin. So we get to learn more of his background and he is known as a living legend which sounds like he's known for many amazing, great things when you're described in those terms, but I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that. You would think that that would mean that he's enjoyed a lot of success, but after we're given some examples of what he's done, that doesn't really seem to be the case. So he's accomplished some things. He has actually invented some things that are widely used, but he mostly fails. He's been obsessed with making magic accessible to all people, not just people that practice it, but to all people so that they can increase the prosperity, the comfort and the happiness of everybody. Uh, and this is something that most mages are not on board with, but Ordolin is, that's one of his primary goals. Um, but he's come up with many inventions to try to achieve this, but most of them 
they either never moved beyond the prototype phase and they were really expensive um, or they did make it past the prototype phase and they were just big old flops. Uh, he's also said to be the oldest looking sorcerer. Funnily enough, he invented the mandrake decoction that works to arrest the aging process. And we're very familiar that sorcerers use this to keep them looking young, since most of them are very, very old, but they look young and hot. But by the time that Ordolan invented it, he had already looked like an old man, so it was too late for him as the mandrake elixir does not rejuvenate. It only arrests the aging process. So he looks like an old man and most of the mages around him don't look their age. Well, that covers some of the more important facts that we learn about Ordolan. So we'll move on. Geralt arrives in the chamber where he meets seven sorcerers seated at, um, at this big table. One of which of course is Ordolan who greets Geralt and tells him that his practice is estimable. So he gives him a compliment. Um, and then Geralt meets everybody else. And I'll go through the names of the rest of those present just so that we have that established. So there's a guy named Axel Esparza. He's also known as Pockmarked Axel. There's Miles Trethave, Stucco Zangenis, Beruda Icardi, who's the only woman, Tarvik Sandoval, and Sorrel Deggerland who's the youngest of the group. So Beruda Cardi also welcomes Carol and she asks him if he has any wishes, if there's something they can do for him. And when that's asked, he places the brass plate that he tore off the Vigilosaur in the previous chapter on the table and he asks them to enlighten him about it. And if you remember, when he showed that to Coral, she didn't say, she didn't, it wasn't made known to the reader at the time what was on the brass plate, but she looks at it and she goes, oh, that's interesting because you're heading there um, soon. That's where we're, uh, my mage friends want you to go. Um, so we knew it had something to do with Risberg, but pockmarked Axel clears it up a little bit. He reads the letters on the plate and reads R-I-S-S-P-S-R-E-P-M-K-I-V-0-0-2-0-2-5. Um, so the I-R or... Did I say IR the first time I meant RI? RISS stands for Risberg, but they read that out loud and Tarvik Sandoval asks, okay, what about it? It's a mutation made here. What do you need to know? Like they don't seem to understand why Geralt is asking them about it. Um, but they make mutations here, like the Vigilosaur. We learned that the Vigilosaur is a design, magically designed thing. Um, for the purpose of people to use it as a guard, but they do that there. They sell them and then they deny any responsibility for misuse of their product, as we can probably call it. Uh, but when they show their indifference, Carol takes out another plate and he throws it on the table. And this one reads IDRULEXIX0012 beta. So this was from the eater that he killed at the beginning of the book. That's where it got its name. Um, it had been killing innocent people, and it was it was made in Risberg or by mages associated with Risberg. But this shows the creators of this monster. It shows the creators' incompetence in looking out for public safety, or their indifference to protecting people from their creations. Uh, although this one, this plate that he 
shows them this gets them a lot more concerned than the, the plate that he took off of the Vigilosaur. So Penity reads it and says, Eateran of Olivo, so Eater, Eateran, uh, and he says, one of Alzer's students. And Tarvik Sandoval says, Eateran, and before him, Malaspina and Alzer. And then Stucco Zangenis denies that it was created at Risberg, which might be true, but they kind of get defensive about it and they get really weird about it. So there's something going on there, but, um, and then suddenly, uh, once Ordolin realizes what's going on, he becomes very offended that Geralt killed the monster or the work of genius as he calls it. And then Geralt starts busting out laughing like really hard <laughs> and he thinks about how he hasn't laughed like this since the plank broke under Vesemir when he was on the toilet and that mention isn't probably very important but it, I thought it was a funny mention of Vesemir well of course no one takes kindly to this laughter Ordolin says Oh, to think I came to your defense when others vilified you. And he says that he defended Geralt when others had bad things to say about him because of his relationship with Yennefer. And then Geralt stops laughing. I guess the mention of Yennefer quickly removes any humor from a situation. And uh, Ordolin then says that Geralt dishonored the work of his fathers since it was Cosimo Malaspino, Malaspina, and his student, Alzer, who invented the mutations that created witchers. Very interesting bit of trivia here. It's very interesting. Although I don't think that that fact would instill any respect for those mages in Geralt, as it's been talked about on at least one or two occasions in past books, the resentment that he's had for being a witcher. Like the conversation that he's had with his mom and something more. Yeah, I don't think that he would celebrate the people who made it so that witchers could be possible because of uh, the life that you live as a witcher and also the process of becoming one, the painful process with the really low survival rate that's done on these young boys. Um, but anyway, before he can continue scolding Geralt, Ordolin suddenly gets quiet and then says, he needs must to the stool, and he asks Sorrel Degerlin, his dear boy, that's a quote, his dear boy, for assistance, and he gets escorted out. Then one by one, the rest of the mages leave, save Penity and Harlan, the two that greeted him when he got to the castle. And uh, this is what Penity was referencing in his letter to Coral in one of the previous interludes when he says that Geralt annoyed everyone. Like, as soon as he got there, everybody was just really angry with Geralt. So, that, uh, now we know what he did to bug them. I, I don't fault Geralt for it, but, um, it's not, it's not, it's not that surprising. So, Geralt asks them, if he's good to leave now, it's like, okay, well, everybody is not happy with me. I'm, I'm ready to take off this. I didn't want to be here in the first place. Like, is, is that all? And they assure him, no, that's by no means all. So Geralt and the two mages gather in a more private chamber that's protected from eavesdropping. And this is when they ask him about his experience with demons. So this is when that finally comes up. And after a little bit of back and forth, Geralt says he's dealt with a demon that entered a wolf, and he also dealt with one that entered a man, 
And the way that he dealt with them was by killing them, killing the wolf, killing the man in order to dispatch the demon to back to its own dimension or world. And even though they agree, even though the two mages agree that the only way to properly deal with the demon is to kill the person or creature possessed by it, the host, uh, Penity brings up that, oh, well, a witcher's code is meant to preclude killing people. And that's kind of an annoying thing to even bring up. <laughs> like they, they, they agree that that's how you do it, but then they have to get that little dig in there. But Geralt explains that it was absolutely necessary in order to save others. Uh, since what that demon in another person's body had done to people was spectacular as he describes it. And it was probably going to keep doing these spectacular things, this spectacular way of killing people. So he's got this you know, utilitarian attitude towards it. Like I'm going to kill this person. If that means I'm going to save a lot more people. Uh, but they say that they, they believe him. They, they believe that the demon has done all the, the, the one that he killed or the person that he killed that was possessed, um, had done a lot of pretty messed up things because they've seen a thing or two themselves. And then this leads Geralt to guess that some sorcerer, for the sake of experimentation, summoned a demon. And before they confirm this, they talk about how Goatia is prohibited, but Risberg Castle is free from the control placed on mages, and therefore many things illegal and immoral take place here, as the ends justifies the means. But it's no biggies, no, no big deal, since everything is monitored, except for when it isn't. And then one of the 18 masters of the castle wanted to play at Goetia. And this led to three large-scale crimes in local forest settlements, where all of the residents were murdered. And they know that it was done by a person possessed by a demon because of these post-mortem examinations. So they did these post-mortem examinations on the people, and... That seemed like, okay, yep, this was definitely the work of a demon. And then they tell Geralt that they'd like him to solve this problem. And the chapter ends here. But the episode doesn't end here because that ends chapter nine. Now we'll talk about chapter 10, where we meet back up with Geralt about a week after he agrees to help with the demon problem. So yeah, about a week, I think maybe a little bit more. And Harlan is about to teleport him to a region nearby known as the Hills so that he can go patrol for any demon activity, which is a task that he's been doing daily. And it's been mentioned before, but there's <clears throat> there's more talk here about Geralt's aversion to portals. Harlan points out how he finds this irrational since they're perfectly safe. But Geralt knows that that's not true. He was present once when the teleportation became popular among rich people and someone came through the other end completely severed in half. And along with that, uh, they, the, the whole process provides a very unpleasant sensation of dulled senses, but it leaves enough to feel very cold. But I think, I mean, it's probably an extremely rare thing that somebody is going to die or get dismembered when they're using a portal. But I think once you've seen that happen firsthand, that I can, I can understand that that would really turn you off from even wanting to risk that happening to you. I, I get it. I, if, if that was a thing in our world and that was a possibility of getting severed in half, 
I, I wouldn't want to do it either. I think I would rather uh, deal with the inconvenience, the, the old fashioned walking or I guess driving in our world. I'd rather do that than teleport, but I don't know. Maybe it's sort of like, um, like flying on a plane. The plane could crash. What are your odds of surviving a plane crash? They're not high, but what are the odds that the plane will crash? I mean, you could even say that about driving a car, car crash. You could get injured. You could die, but people still drive. So it's kind of hard to compare our means of transportation to those in the, the Witcher universe or any universe where teleportation is possible because, uh, well, because we don't have that here. So it's hard to really know what that would be like. But anyway, so he has to do it. He's got to use these portals because the region that he's patrolling is spread out really far and it would just take way too long if he traveled there on horse. The monotonous task of patrolling involves him visiting more than a dozen homesteads. And while doing this one day, while going back and forth, he met this man called Constable Franz Torquil, who first approached Geralt with his squad and they were all decked out in camouflage and longbows. And Geralt thought the, that the encounter would be hostile, but they turned out to be law enforcement and Torquil turned out to be quite friendly. So he saw Geralt or he's heard of Geralt before, um, because of the eater incident. So him killing that eater recently, uh, got talked about enough that he heard of Geralt and thought that that was a great thing that he did. So he respects him. Um, and his, he and his squad are patrolling the area for the same reason that Geralt is. Uh, the only difference probably is the pay. When they mention something about pay, Geralt thinks to himself, that the sorcerers are paying him 1,000 Novigradian crowns and irrespective of what he finds, which is a lot of money to earn in 15 days. I know that uh, we don't learn a whole lot about the currency, but it's described as being a lot of money. And we have a few other examples from throughout this book and other books to compare that. So that is a lot of money, especially if nothing were to even happen within those 15 days and he was to just be on his merry way a lot of money that he'd be getting just to ride around on a horse. So his meetings, he, he has a few conversations. He meets with him at least a couple of times, but these serve mostly to allow the reader to get caught up on Geralt's thoughts on the situation at hand. So when Torquil brings up the recent slaughters, Geralt thinks that the killings were not an accident. He thinks that this was all planned. He thinks that someone imprisoned a demon in a host and sent it out to murder. So somebody is actually trying to commit murder, but using um, a demon as a way to do that. And also, he thinks that the reason the sorcerers, people who are perfectly capable of dealing with the demon themselves, hired a witcher, is because one of the sorcerers has become possessed and they don't want to kill one of their own. They think that it would be better if they had a witcher do it instead. And Torgal seems to be thinking this too. He mentions to Carol that if something doesn't go right, they'll be looking for a scapegoat and you have all the makings for one of one. And that sounds right. I think that that sounds pretty plausible. And at this moment, distant thunder rumbled. So it sounds like some foreshadowing there. Well, Geralt recalls a 
previous conversation with Pinati, so this took place somewhere between the end of chapter nine and the beginning of chapter 10. And in this conversation, he accuses Pinati and the other mages of continuing to practice Goatia, even with everything that's going on, they haven't stopped. And he thinks that they're doing this because they want to learn the secrets of demons. And they want to do this in an effort as they claim to increase their own magic power, which would contribute to a better, happier world. But really all they care about, as Geralt points out, is power and control for selfish reasons. The, the reasoning uh, with the, uh, the happier world, the better world, better for everybody else is just an excuse. And even in the previous chapter, uh, Penity says something about how the aim of all sorcerers is people's prosperity and safety, but Geralt doesn't get down with this. He thinks it's, it's basically just a platitude, something that they say to justify unfortunate outcomes like this one. The ends justifies the means, as Penity also said in the previous chapter. It's like, well, if a lot of people have to get brutally murdered in the process, um, that's fine as long as we get a really good outcome. But is the outcome really to make the world better for other people or is it to make the world better, better for themselves? Also, Geralt tells him that what you're doing is pointless. Like the demons aren't ever going to let you do what you want with them. They only want to kill. You can't control them. And Penity basically just says, that's not for you to worry about. You're you're just here to do the job that we hire you to do. So just shut up and do your job. So it's unfortunate that Geralt can't convince them otherwise, but it's it's an expected result. So Geralt has another rec recollection from his first visit to this charcoal burner settlement called Rogovizna, Rogovizna, uh, where he went with Penity, who described the murders to him. And he describes them in great gruesome detail, which I'll omit here. I'm not going to talk about that. It was really hard to read. Um, but it does leave you, as you're reading it, with the understanding of just how bad the situation is. Like, people aren't only being killed, but they're being killed in really messed up ways. So hopefully this gets solved. But during this meeting, Geralt asked Penity if they really found it necessary to resort to blackmail when they had him locked up to get him to come to Risberg. So he's addressing that whole thing with them. He's not going to just let that go, as he shouldn't. I'm glad that he brings it up. But Penity confirms that it was Quarrel's idea. And I'm not exactly sure what that means. Like, I don't know what the significance of that is, if anything at all. Uh, but it's certainly interesting. It's, it's good to know that she was the one that came up with the idea uh, to have Geralt put in jail it wasn't their ideas. And she was working on the whole project of getting Geralt to come there from a whole different setting. So that's why it's interesting. But um, we're brought back to the present day as Geralt is heading toward the next charcoal burner settlement called Pine Tops when the forest suddenly fell silent, frozen in terror, and Geralt takes off on his horse. Presumably toward where something is going on, not away from it. Um, but since this is where the chapter ends, I will save what he finds for the next episode, if it's covered in the next chapter, that is. 
But boy, the way that those last few lines were written was really scary. Like they did a good job of evoking some horror there. I, uh, I was really spooked when I read that the first time. Not knowing what exactly he was going to find, but talk of demons alone. Like that's, that's really spooky. That's scary stuff. All right. Oh, we had a bit of a shorter episode today. Well, that's fine. Uh, I think the next couple of ones will probably be, be longer because stuff is going down. But closing thoughts. Uh, yeah, the story really took an unexpected turn. I never would have predicted from the first several chapters that Carol would end up demon hunting. But this is a this is an unpredictable story, I guess. Still liking it, though, by the way. I mentioned in the past few episodes that I am liking the book, having not read it before, and that is still the case. I'm pretty far. I, uh, I'm reading ahead and uh, haven't finished it yet, but I am pretty far. Okay, looking ahead. What is Geralt going to find in Pine Tops? That's what we have to look forward to. Um, is he going to deal with a demon? Is he going to kill a sorcerer and then get blamed for it? And then be, is he going to be punished for it if he does? Uh, that's the one thing that I remember thinking when uh, they were talking about Geralt being used as a scapegoat is if he does kill the mage that is possessed by the demon, are they going to try to find a way to punish him? Because they can be very vindictive. They had him, it was Quirrell's idea, but they had him put in jail when he didn't even do anything just to get him to help them out. So what are they going to do when they're able to blame him? Even though they hired him, I, I wouldn't put it past them. And also, hopefully this doesn't impede him from his mission to recover his swords in Novigrad. But we will have to see in, well, in upcoming episodes. I was going to say the next episode, but... I don't know that we're going to discover too much next time. All right. Thank you. Just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you in the next episode. <laughs>